Our Father, we are rejoicing this morning because we know uh, our Savior, our Lord Jesus, and we have great confidence in him, not in ourselves, uh, not in our own goodness, our own righteousness, that we've lived this way or that. We do talk a lot about how uh, to live and how others live, but Father, the real focus uh, in our hearts is on our Lord Jesus and what he has accomplished for us and how that uh, faith uh, in him has uh, brought about this great uh, change uh, in our entire perspective on life and on eternity. So, Father, thank you for gathering each one this morning. Thank you for uh, working in our hearts to to give us this desire for this fellowship and to open the word of truth together and to rightly divide it. Father, uh, bless us as we do that, and we'll be so thankful and appreciative. Uh, Father, I thank you for all those down through the years that have heard our testimony and our witness, and uh, that you have worked through that. We're so thankful for, Father, I I, uh, I thank you for opportunities to uh, share with many in our families and in our through our and with our friends and and also others that you bring into our midst. And Father, we are very concerned about the young ones, uh, those growing up today in school today, whether it's uh, the school uh, experience where, while they're very young or as they've gotten older and, and gone off to uh, higher education, so-called, which isn't so high these days. Father, we just commit them to you that you would build a wall of protection around them. May what they've taught uh, bear fruit. If they're unbelieving still, Father, I pray that in seeing the world as it is, that they might be drawn to you in saving faith, having remembered what has been shared with them. Or, Father, if they've never heard and do not remember, I just pray, Father, that you would bring someone into their midst who might share with them the... uh, the blessedness of our Lord Jesus and his finished work for their salvation. Father, I just pray that you would uh, draw them to yourself. Uh, There are specific persons in our minds, Father, that we call out to you for and you know who they are, and we just pray that you would draw them back from the brink of disaster. Father, I thank you for our nation and its leaders, uh, many do not know you, but others do. And some certainly, Father, are standing for principles, at least, that are right and good for our nation. We certainly support them, Father, in prayer. We pray for our president and those that uh, uh, guide and lead this nation who serve together with him. Father, I pray that they would be encouraged, see progress made in the various areas where Uh, So much needs to be done. Uh, There's been so much turning away in this country from that which is truly good and truly just and uh, cheap substitutes that are not real uh, replacements have been put in place of that which was good uh, in that on that which uh, the country had been founded. Even the fundamentals have been rejected by so many in our country, and our leaders seem to be 
working so hard to lead the country entirely astray. So, Father, I, I just pray that you would work there to encourage those that dare to speak truth and guide and lead in a way that's uh, uh, going to help our country and our people. Father, I just uh, pray that as the country is in darkness, that you would bring light and that uh, that might, of course, always, each day, begin with us who know you. Father, thank you for the word that's set before us now. So, Father, as we open your word now, may it be a great blessing to us. In Christ's name, amen. Well, we continue in the letter to the Philippians. We're going to be looking in those verses that uh, finish up chapter 1 today, starting in verse 19. I'll be asking Patty to read there shortly that verse. We've looked at before now twice, uh, but I do want to start there because it's really the the, the starting point for the verses that follow and that uh, close out the chapter. So we really have to look again at verse 19, at least uh, to begin with today. It's a great verse indeed, but as we read down just a few verses, we get to this verse, which uh, provides the main theme for what we want to share with you today, and that is this, verse 21 For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. (laughs) So I was thinking about how to put this into a title for this uh, teaching today, changing it somewhat, but uh, not really changing Paul's intent at all, but just clarifying it, perhaps. (laughs) And uh, so... Uh, This is how it comes out as the title for today. To live and to die, Christ. To live and to die, Christ. And uh, that really is the theme of Paul's entire life. And of course, since it is that, it's the theme for his ministry. Um, Paul writes of that which he knows well and uh, that which he considers to be critical for the living of the other believers who've come to know the Lord Jesus and who dwell in the realm of his abundant grace. And in this case, it's the Philippians to whom he writes. And uh, the glory of what he's written, especially... uh, we could say in these verses we're looking at right now, the glory of it is so clearly revealed and uh, that everything is focused here on living and dying, but it being entirely for the eternal glory of the Lord. But, But then he most wonderfully adds also for us. It's our gain, he says. Verse 21, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, that's an amazing uh, uh, set of words. We'll look into them in detail as we proceed today. But this is all such simplicity, right? And yet the depth of meaning here and the power of it are unquestionably great, right? Um, All of us, though, 
who know the Lord can sort of fill in the blanks from our own experience, you know, our own life experience since becoming a believer uh, have not been without challenge, right? And the challenges of this life have been many. And you know and I know that these challenges will continue. Um, so that's our circumstance. But will we respond to them the way the Apostle Paul responded to his challenges in life? That's the question that stands before us. How will we respond? Uh, will it be as Paul did, able to boldly share these words with the Philippians and through this letter also with us, or will we respond otherwise? That's the question. Well, I hope and pray that we will respond the way Paul did. Okay, even a quick and superficial reading of the letter reveals how this letter might be of great assistance to us in life, on life's journey. If only we'll take it to heart, right? <laughs> only we'll take to heart what the apostles written here. So let's get on with it and uh, just see uh, where the Lord takes us. Uh, every time I study Philippians, I see so much more that I never saw before. And what I saw before becomes more more precious. So I hope and pray that it'll be your experience as well. You know, we started, um, I think it was two of our studies back uh, a couple of weeks ago now, um, looking at this section where Paul mentions two things. He mentions the heart of Jesus Christ, and he also mentions the spirit of Jesus Christ. Um, you know how he did that in, in verse 8. He said, God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. In other words, in his very, very heart. So Paul knew that his experience uh, and care and concern and love for the Philippians was very much uh, in tune with, in fact, more than just being in harmony with how the Lord himself felt about the Philippians. He even says, I long for you in the heart of Jesus, in, in his very being, as it were. And uh, we, we looked into that in some depth uh, just to see if more was there than we might have ever seen before. And I hope you saw that more is there. Certainly, I've seen that and continue to see it. The words that Paul uses, uh, he uses in a way that we don't much use them today. Bowels to us is, is a merely physical matter, and uh, we don't like to talk about it. But that's not what Paul was referring to. He's talking about the inner affections and tender mercies of the Lord Jesus, right? And, uh, you know, we've experienced uh, very deep feelings, even apart from the Lord, right, on occasion, uh, maybe quite often. It's the nature of our being is to relate to others and to experience profound things uh, in uh, common with them. Could be parents, children, friends. These are all very important parts of life. But when we're talking on the spiritual level, as he is here, these uh, things are even more precious and more important. So 
So he says it, it's with the very heart of Christ. If I paraphrase it, that's what I would come up with. With the very heart of Christ, I care for you, dearly beloved. That's really what Paul is saying here. And he then he says, uh, really, I think it's an explanation of the verse we just looked at, verse 8. But verse 19, he says what uh, empowers him in all of this. And he says it is the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. We saw a lot last time, and I, I went to several verses to show you that we have dwelling within us the very life of Christ. In fact, it's more than just the life of Christ. It's it's himself. Uh, the Holy Spirit indwells us. The Father indwells us. And the Son of God himself, resurrected, indwells us. And that's what Paul is referring to here when he mentions the Spirit of Jesus Christ. We saw from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45, that when Christ was raised from the dead... There was a transformation beyond him simply um, being uh, resurrected or brought back to life. It was a change uh, in a number of different dimensions. But one thing it says there in 1 Corinthians 15 is that uh, when Christ was raised from the dead, uh, he he became a life-giving spirit. And uh, that life-giving spirit has been poured out into each of us, uh, saved according to grace and uh, and God's provision through grace. So that's uh, the fact of it. We possess Christ. Paul says in Romans 8, verse 9, if any man has not, in other words, if there is a person who doesn't possess the spirit of Christ, he doesn't even belong to Christ. That's what it says in Romans 8, 9. And in two verses later, it says that the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead, if he dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken, shall also make alive your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Okay. We're not denying that the Holy Spirit dwells in us, but there's more to the work of God today under grace than that, uh, and in particular that the Spirit of Christ as well dwells within us, and that gives us an empowering. And it, it was true for Paul, and uh, it's absolutely true for us. It makes a difference, makes a great difference to rely on and... Uh, and use, take advantage of, and and use that power of resurrected life. Paul calls that life newness, the newness of life in Romans chapter uh, 6, verse 4. Okay, so now let's begin. What What I'd like us to do is finish the chapter today. Probably we won't quite finish because I think the last few verses will save to begin with next time, but uh, we'll at least read them, and I'm sure they'll be a blessing and set the stage for what follows. I don't accept the chapter divisions as as uh, inspired, so <laughs> we may divide the chapter differently than you find there in your uh, printed Bible. 
So first, what we're going to do is to look at Paul's confidence in Christ, who rested in his empowering. So Paul was resting in the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, the resurrected power of Christ. That's where we will start. Uh, then we'll look at Paul's desire, which was to glorify Christ in all things, to glorify Christ in all things. And then we'll look at um, Paul's confidence in Christ and ask the question, was it well-founded? I mean, or perhaps Paul was overconfident or misguided. Uh, surely he was not, but we will ask the question and answer it. Was Paul's confidence in Christ well-founded? And then finally, Paul's example and its power. He offers his example with confidence. Actually, confidence of the response of the Philippians to it. He believed his example with the Philippians would bear fruit in them. So he offers his example with confidence of their response. Okay, so that's a wonderful thing. Our response, of course, is always the question, right? How will we respond? Okay, so first of all, Paul's confidence in Christ, in which he rested, specifically uh, the great power. Christ was raised from the dead, and Paul now, and we, enjoy that resurrected power. Okay, Patty, I'd like you to read that first verse there. Gets us started today. Uh, verse 19 of Philippians <clears throat> chapter 1. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Okay, so one thing that we haven't spoken about very much is that uh, in the dispensation of the grace of God, the believers, all the believers, are in a position, at least, to enjoy the work of God in ways that were not possible before. Uh, one of those ways is that we possess the spirit of Jesus Christ, and it makes an incredible difference. So uh, the abundance of God's grace works itself out, therefore, in ways that are uh, di different than in previous dispensational plans. We spent a lot of time looking at the kingdom, looking at the tribulation period leading up to that, looking at uh, the time uh, back in the days of Pentecost, looking before that, back in Israel's history, going all the way back to uh, the Genesis account there, right? The long war against God was long and detailed, and we looked at it pretty thoroughly, I think. We've seen how God worked in all those different uh, circumstances. Today, he's working quite differently, right, uh, in some ways. Other things are common in every uh, period of time and, and in every dispensation. Uh, faith is at the center always, right? But other things change. In no way are we under Moses' law today. If we were, we'd be judged accordingly and blessed accordingly. Blessed for obedience, judged for disobedience. Now, it's easy to think that God is still doing things in the same way, but not really, you know, not if we take it literally, at least. Can one think that? 
Okay, so grace is dominating today, and it's in the very center of God's work. Paul's confidence in Christ and in his empowering through Christ was right at the center of his life and ministry. And he writes very much about it. I told you last time, I think, that uh, uh, nearly on every page in Paul's letters, you can find some reference to this. And yet commentators nearly always uh, ignore this aspect of Paul's teaching. And that's simply because of uh, preconceived ideas about how God works today and trying to uh, make the work under grace very much like his work in other dispensational frameworks, which, of course, distorts the truth greatly and sometimes short circuits it altogether. So uh, that's um, a sad thing to see. Churches today are extremely weak for the most part for that reason, amongst others, right? But that's a major reason. The children of God simply do not know the truth of God and many assume they're believers when they're really not. They haven't even heard the gospel in many cases, right? So, you know, that's just the situation we live in today. Uh, the days are dark. Paul writes about how it would be as uh, the dispensation progressed through time and finally reached its end point, right? And we may be close to that now. Okay, so Paul is confident because of the working of the Spirit of Christ. Now, that confidence now is uh, reflected in what he writes in the next verses. It, that confidence in Christ and his work in and through him is a confidence also that Christ's work will be a reality in the believers, right? Paul's task uh, the job that he was given by Christ was to share Christ with the Gentiles and went forth to do that. Well, once they had become believers, his task was to edify them. That means to build them up in this precious truth, right? And uh, at the center of that truth was that Christ indwelled the believer and they had his resurrection life, right? To live, to live. So, uh, Paul's confidence was very, very great, therefore, not only for himself in his own circumstances, but in the uh, lives of others. Well, let's read Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Linda, would you please read this for us? According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Okay, thank you, Linda. So here Paul is um, laying the foundation for some very strong statements about uh, how this work will go, right? And here he talks about how he believes his life is going to proceed, how it's going to progress. Now, nobody, apart from the revelation of God, has actual knowledge of the future. Only God holds these things in the hollow of his hand, right? Unless, and rarely does he do it, but certainly in prophecy it was done, 
But even there, usually the prophecies weren't about specific persons, right? But about nations and about uh, circumstances and so forth, right? But here, Paul is very confident about himself and how his own life will develop. And what does he say? He says, um, he's just said, and this is a continuation of the same sentence even, right? He says, uh, I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always so now also, Christ should be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death, period. <laughs> okay, that's a big sentence, right? Okay, <clears throat> so let's look at each part of that, because each part's important. He says, uh, according to my earnest expectation and my hope. So he's just said how his circumstances will develop because they're praying. That was the one thing. And the other thing was because Jesus Christ is spiritually providing a supply. It's like there's a big warehouse of grace available and it's being measured out to Paul directly, right? And he knows and he has confidence of that, right? He's convinced. There's no question in his mind about this. Now, I would have to, to say we don't know for sure, but Paul may have actually been given revelation by Christ himself that he would not be in that Roman confinement very long, okay? That he would be released. And in fact, he was released. We know that. But uh, whether he knew already that that would happen or not isn't clear from what we read here. Uh, I think he did know. Uh, and I think that's why he says, I know, right? But as you see from what he will write a little bit later, even if that's not the case, even if he dies there in Rome, at this time or in the near future, all, all of his confidence has not been uh, based upon error and a, a, a misunderstanding of the plan of God because he knows that nevertheless Christ will be glorified. Okay, you see that. That's why we can apply verses like this even to our own circumstances. Can you say you know the future. No, you cannot, right? But will these events that we're in right now turn, as he says here, to your salvation? Well, well, they very well may if we understand salvation correctly, right? Uh, and we certainly know that the Lord is with us in every circumstance of life. And as Paul has written earlier, we will never be ashamed in that confidence, right? Okay, so let's go on a little. The next verse is, uh, uh, he says in verse 20, 20 and 21, this is um, also according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, right? 
Now, earnest expectation and hope go together. Uh, it's not only here, but this is a, a theme of Paul's. If we were to define the word hope, I mean, most of the time when you see the word defined in a, in a Bible dictionary, for example, right, uh, it will say confident or earnest expectation, right? In other words, these two go together. They, they're all about the same thing. That's a, It's about the revelation of God to us, us taking God at his word and therefore finding uh, in us hope being generated and an expectation for what God has promised, right? That becomes a reality in our lives. And then faith attaches to this and, uh, and you know the rest of the story, right? So he says, in nothing I shall be ashamed. Okay, um, indeed, that's a precious thing. You know, our expectation isn't in this world. If it is, we may very well be ashamed, disappointed, in other words, cast down, destroyed, all of these things. Paul did not uh, experience the future developments in that way uh, at all, right? But he saw Christ at work, right? In other words, he was never ashamed. And we're not to be ashamed either, right? Or disappointed in that sense, right? Because we had trusted in the everlasting God, but then he had fallen short. No, God will never fall short of what he has promised to us, right? He will always do what he has said, said he will do, right? Uh, so we'll never be ashamed. And Paul <clears throat> re-underlines re that thought here by these words, in nothing I shall be ashamed. He says, I have confidence of that. We're to have that confidence too, of course. And he's setting forth himself as our example. That you realize, don't you? And then he goes on, he says, but with all boldness as always, so also now. So Paul is saying here that not only is he demonstrating this resurrected life of Christ in the way that he lives, it's also in his speech, in the way he speaks. He says, with all boldness. Boldness is a word that relates to speaking. In fact, the word boldness in the Greek literally means, you'll find this very interesting, I certainly did when I realized that, but the Greek word means all Speaking. <laughs> In other words, not leaving anything out. Speaking it with simplicity, yes, but with transparency before the Lord. You're not leaving out what needs to be included. Okay? And and uh, if you think of all the times, uh, if you remember some, at least of them, when you've shared the Lord with someone or shared your testimony, right? <laughs> and afterwards you thought, now, why didn't I say that? That was such an obvious thing to say. It was so appropriate, and I didn't say it at all. Didn't even mention it, right? Well, what Paul is saying here is that he was bold in his life. That does not mean he was uh, steamrolling people, uh, you know, uh, not a good listener. doesn't mean any of those things. It means that he said what needed to be said. Okay? And uh, so... Uh, 
we think of boldness as being a mannerism, sort of the way we're speaking in that sense. But uh, in the biblical uh, realm, it's really a different thing. It's to say what needs to be said. So think of boldness as all speaking, okay? <laughs> That'll help you to remember uh, what it means to be bold, properly speaking, okay? Oh, there's another way, properly speaking. How about that? And then he says, um, with all boldness, as always, now also, I'm confident. Remember, he's talking about his confidence, uh, his hope, that Christ shall be magnified. And he doesn't leave it there. We're thinking of his testimony and all those things. But now he adds something I think is quite amazing. He says, in my body. Okay, uh, everything we do, everything we say is in the context of who we are as other people actually see us to be. And you remember Paul, he had some serious physical issues, uh, one of which was his eyesight. Uh, it was harmed uh, uh, at some point, maybe always, uh, or maybe when he saw the risen Christ. And certainly that uh, had an effect on his eyes and his vision, right? Uh, he was blinded for, for a season, right? But in any case, uh, throughout his life, he had problems with his eyes. Not only that he couldn't see well, but that apparently there was something about his eyes that was truly offensive. And the false teachers highlighted this as one thing about Paul uh, that they should take note of. The false teachers said he was a despicable person. And part of what they meant was, if you looked at him, you would even see it, right? But for Paul, that didn't stand in the way of his confidence in Christ. In fact, he knew that even that would redound to the glory of God, right? It is through weak, and weak vessels that the glory of God is made manifest, right? And so Paul uh, mentions that here, that though we are in earthen tents, that is no excuse <laughs> for our uh, boldness for Christ and for our living out a resurrected quality of life. And then he adds, whether it be by life or by death. See, he keeps adding uh, phrases that intensify the meaning. Now, it's not only by life, it's by death. Now, I actually saw, and I was kind of shocked because this was in one of my favorite commentaries, but one of my favorite commentators said that Paul couldn't have been saying that there was anything positive about dying, about his death. Well, that's exactly what he's saying. I don't know how he could have missed the whole point of this, right? Whether it be by life or by death. Okay, so what Paul is really saying is that in living, and he's really, I think, encouraging all, and here it's the Philippians, to carefully examine his living, but he says, whether you look carefully at my living, look with a microscope if you want, right? In fact, I encourage you to do that. Or if you look at my dying, in other words, the manner of his death and the circumstances of it, he says, whichever it is, you will see Christ magnified. You will see Christ glorified, even, right? 
whether it's in his living or in his dying. Now, that's an amazing statement, which he summarizes just with these precious words. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Or as I stated it in the title, to live and to die, Christ. It's that simple, but that profoundly meaningful as well, right? Um, being confident, he said earlier, <laughs> uh, you remember that, uh, this very thing, verse 6, um, that he hath begun a good work and you will perform it how long? For a few days, a month, a year? No, he says, until the day of Jesus Christ. That takes us beyond this life and even through our dying process, right? So God's work isn't ever going to cease. And may we rejoice in that. Uh, now, there is something else here, <laughs> quickly. Oh, my. For me to live is Christ and to die is, what does it say? Gain? Okay, you know, in English, that makes perfect sense. But if you go to the Greek, you'll find that, oh my, now we've missed something again here, simply because the the translators, they translated correctly, but we may be missing the context if we're not really careful here. Because this word for gain is translated also in other ways, in other places in Paul's letters. And it is a word that Paul uses a few times. For example, Philippians chapter 3, this very letter, verse 7. Those things that were gain to me, I counted loss for Christ. That's using gain totally differently than he uses it in, in the verse we're considering, verse 21, right? Verse 21, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. That means for me, right? But chapter 3, verse 7, what things were gained to me, those things I counted lost for Christ. You see, he's using the word very differently. There's There are several kinds of gain, therefore. One is to be rejected at all costs, right? The other is to be received gloriously as a gift from God. Okay? To make that so clear, if you looked at Titus chapter 1, verse 11, you'll, you'll get the picture. He says, he's speaking there of false teachers. He says to Titus, watch out for those uh, false teachers whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. Filthy lucre's sake. The word for lucre there. The same word translated gain here in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. Okay? So you see the word gain can apply to those things which are absolutely to be rejected always, right? Financial things that you should not have any part in, right? Uh, for example. Uh, or it may refer to 
the greatest blessings of all that we may receive in this life directly from the good hand of the Lord, right? For me to live as Christ and to die is gain, okay? This is a gain of eternal consequence. So you see the difference there. And there are also other things uh, we could point out if we had more time, but I want us to uh, just read now. Uh, I would like uh, for uh, Ted first to read and then Roy these final verses, uh, and we'll come back to this next time. Uh, Ted, would you please read from verses 22 through 26? But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I will not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and for and joy of faith. That your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Okay, thank you, Ted. <clears throat> so... Paul was confident in Christ, and he believed that his confidence was well founded, and there would be fruit. There would be fruit in the lives of the Philippians, and we'll look again at that next time. And then, Roy, would you please read for us verses 27 through 30, because that really summarizes the whole teaching of the entire chapter. Philippians 1, 27 through 30, Roy. Only let your conversation be as it become the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or be absent, may I, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, but one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is them, and in the token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now heard to be in me. Thank you, Roy. For unto you is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which he saw in me and now here to be in me. As we'll see next time, this word conflict, it's also translated in two other ways uh, in uh, Paul's letters. And in... <laughs> It's translated as a race, for example, a race, which is uh, uh, interesting, <laughs> a race. It's also translated, in fact, most of the time, by the word fight. Okay? Uh, same word. The Greek word you'll find very interesting. The Greek word is 
agon, from which we get our word agony. Agony is directly a transliteration of the Greek word agon, translated fight, translated race, and here translated conflict. Paul had taken upon himself the running of a great race, and that race had directly to do with the Philippians. <laughs> okay? He was in on a race course related to them, and he was putting everything in his being into that race and into the running of it for their sakes. Okay? And uh, that summarizes the whole introduction to this letter, does it not? So... Well, we'll look at that again next time, but uh, uh, we're also in a race. Uh, I'm hoping you realize we are in a race. And uh, Paul writes about that race. I'm going to ask Patty just to read those verses in Second Timothy <laughs> about uh, Paul's race that he was running and about ours as well. Uh, Patty, please read Second uh, Timothy 4. Verses 7 and 8. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Okay, Paul writes this just before his martyrdom. This is, these are the last words here in this letter to Timothy, the last words that he wrote that have been released, recorded for us, right? His second letter to Timothy. Now it's in the past tense. I have fought a good fight. That's that same word, agon, right? Race or conflict. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but also unto all them that love his appearing. That is you and me, beloved. That is you and me. If, if we run that race and love his appearing, right? The crown he's speaking of here. He's not talking about your salvation. You can't lose that. Once you've been saved, you'll always be saved. You're going to make it to heaven's glory. No question about it, right? Here he's talking about crowns. Okay. And that's uh, different. Each person's crown be quite different and very unique, I think. And for some, he writes in another place, they won't receive crowns, but they will be saved eternally, right? So Paul says loving his appearing is uh, to be at the very center of our lives and our experience. So, Praise the Lord today for his grace, uh, that empowering of our Lord Jesus Christ, who dwells within, is what can make the difference, right? Well, are there any questions? Uh, 
or comments before we go to the Lord in prayer. I hope this has been a blessing for you. It certainly has been for me. Okay. Well, let's pray. Our Father, we're thankful. We are thankful. When we say we're thankful, what we mean is, it is to you, Father, that we offer up our praise. It is to you in whom our confidence rests. It is you who have made these promises. It is you who have transformed our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. It's you, Father, who has set us even in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus and given us a hope that cannot fail. It is you, Father, who are working through every circumstance of our lives. You hold us in the hollow of your hand. And you're with us through these circumstances. Our Lord Jesus even dwells within us, and we are empowered uh, by that. And your grace, Father, is sufficient. So, Father, I pray for each one here today and everyone who hears these words or reads them future time, uh, that they would draw us in our hearts and in our spirits closer to you in our experience, that we might rejoice uh, whatever our trials may bring, that we may never lose our confidence in you and your word of promise, and that we might uh, never stop loving Christ's appearing. That's the next event on our horizon, Father. And we do rejoice and thank you in Christ's name and amen.